Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Oh, something is This is the Lightning Round Podcast with your hosts, Garrett Sisti and Jamie Hoyle. Go Chargers, go! We might need to add some Harbaugh stuff in there coming up soon. (laughs) Boy, those would go with the good vibes of the intro. Hey, Garrett here, Jamie here, Craig having a little bit of internet issue. He will be with us shortly, I am sure. But we wanted to get started. It's a little bit past our start time. So we wanted to get in here. We're going to talk about the Jim Harbaugh press conference off the top. And then we got to talk about this new GM, Joe Hortiz. And we got lots of info for you on that. Uh, did, a, did a lot of research on him. And boy, are we excited. So uh, before we get to Hortiz, and now we know how to pronounce his name, which is great. Um, Jamie, let's talk about the press conference. Uh, a lot of just kind of football speak, a lot of, a lot of coach speak. Harbaugh kind of went off on a couple tangents, told a couple stories. But I think there might be a couple nuggets. What did, what did you really take away from this press conference today? Uh, well, I think the big thing is the culture change and just the overall change in how the team is going to operate moving forward. Um, you know, he was asked what his vision was for year one. I think the exact question was, what kind, what do you see success as in year one? And he didn't really answer the question. But what he did say was, you know, we're going to be – a tough team. We're going to be a resilient team. We're going to be a relentless team. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're going to play hard. We're going to be physical and we're going to earn the respect of our, our opponents and we're going to respect all of our opponents. And that to me was, I think pretty telling just, I mean, it's football talk, it's, it's coach talk, but at the same time, you know, this is a team that as we've talked about many times quit, on national television against the Raiders <laughs> in December. <Yeah>. So <laughs> uh, I think that was a clear message to the players and to the fans that, Hey, that stuff that we saw last year, that that shit ain't going to happen anymore. So that was, that was the first big takeaway for me. I, I have a couple others. What did you have? Uh, I mean, in terms of staffing, he pretty much confirmed Ben Herbert was coming aboard. Um, they were still going through the process with uh, Jesse Minter and Harbaugh. So, you know, it seems like they're going to go through uh, some interviews there uh, and offense coordinator. Um, he had mentioned, uh, he was kind of referencing like the military, but he had talked about a six to nine month turnaround. And that really stuck out to me because you're talking about culture change that, that immediately is like, we've got a time frame. If you're not ready by training camp, we're moving without you. So not only is he shifting the culture, but he's got a plan in place already. Uh, he's, he said he's going to, his, you know, next order of business is going to be putting the staff together, which is obvious because there isn't anybody really set in stone yet, but 
you know, the fact that he's ready to say, Hey, you, we got six to nine months to really turn this thing around. And once we hit that season, we're going to be firing. So, um, that I thought was a pretty important piece of the kind of culture building is making sure that it's not just, Hey, things are going to be different here. It is, things are going to be different and here's how long it's going to take. And here's what we're going to do going forward. And I thought that was, uh, really nice to hear. And then the other thing, which may not be a big surprise to anybody that knows anything about Harbaugh, but he said, protecting the offense, protecting Herbert, excuse me, on offense and beefing up the run game, which he said was very, very important. Yeah. I think, um, go ahead, Jimmy. I was just going to say, you know, something else that stuck out to me too, was he kept using the word together. Um, I forget exactly what the question was, but it was how are you how are you going to turn things around? I forget exactly the question, but the response was the team, the team, the team. We're going to work together. We're going to play together. The operative word here is together, and that just seemed like another message directly to the players. Like we've heard all this talk about, you know, uh, offense versus defense in the locker room, Staley's guys, non-Staley's guys, happy birthday, no happy birthday, all this <laughs> ridiculous fifth grade stuff. And to me, it was just, it just seemed like so much of that uh, press conference was just geared towards letting the players know, hey, there's an adult in the room now and things are different. And we're going to play as a team and we're going to pull in the same direction. And if you're not good with that, then see you later was kind of, Kind of what I took from that. So Craig's here. Craig, we are just starting to talk about, and you're echoing a little bit, but um, we were just starting to talk about the Harbaugh press conference. Talk to me. What What are some of your takeaways? You you were able to watch it today? Yeah. Sorry, guys, up front. I'm having a little bit of Wi-Fi issue at my house. So I'm on my uh, phone's hotspot. Um, yeah, I was able to watch it. Uh, I had a long day at work, but I was still able to tune in. And um, there were a few things that I took from it. First and foremost, let's go ahead and state this. Uh, actually, Jamie already mentioned it in um, our text message. Jim's a bit awkward in front of a mic. It's pretty clear. But, <laughs> but look, it's perfect because so are Dean and John. Uh, so it just works out, especially Dean. But um, outside of that, there were a few things um, that I really liked. Uh, yeah, definitely agree with the togetherness side of things. It was a message. Uh, just the way that he stressed the level of importance on the offense and having specific goals and a vision, um, protecting Herbert, being paramount there, beefing up the run game. So take from that what you will, but also the fact that he reiterated it all, um, after the fact. He talked about um, running play action off of the run game and further emphasizes the ground game after that. So you see it's going to be something that's super important to the offense and also, he stressed the uh, importance of wide receivers' ability to block, mm -hmm. and we know it takes a certain type of player to want to get their, um, you know, their hands dirty. Um, Keenan's one of those guys, so may make you kind of pay attention to the type of guys they bring in, specifically whether it be through the draft or free agency. He has a type, um, and also just he put a real emphasis on the fact that the defense needs to score the ball as well. So I believe he called everything collectively a we fence. Mm -hmm. It may sound corny, but you get it. Um, 
definitely he wants everybody to do their part, but there needs to be balance throughout the team. Also special teams uh, contributing there and setting the tone as they start the games off. So you heard some cliche things here and there, but it just backs up what we already know about him. Um, he wants the team to have a tough mentality. Uh, there needs to be a focus on playing together. Togetherness is key. And I don't think it's a coincidence that he also mentioned the three clear pillars of the team. When we're talking about foundational players, it's at least the second time that he talked about Herbert, Keenan, and Derwin. Um, he mentioned Rashawn Slater this time and even Trey Pickens. But, I mean, he ran into the dude at the airport. So, yeah. I guess it would be in bad taste if you didn't say you talked to him. But, um, yeah, I mean, a bunch of things that came across as sticking points, but also things that we already know about Harbaugh. So I wouldn't say anything that really blew me away, but it's just nice to have a guy who clearly doesn't care about the dog and pony show. He just wants to show up, do his job and create a winner. Yeah. He mentioned Herbert being the crown jewel, which is even more than just being starstruck by Herbert. It felt like, and he mentioned being fired up about Derwin. I feel like four or five times that's going to be a big deal, but yeah, mentioning Keenan and Slater is new, but man, he, he was very emphatic about being fired up about Derwin James. Yeah, I thought that was an interesting part too. You know, he's talking about Herbert and there were three or four times during the press conference where he went out of his way to mention Herbert and Derwin. And he talked about like wanting to run through a wall for Derwin, like let's go, mm -hmm. you know, how Derwin has him fired up. And there's been a lot of talk about, you know, should they cut Derwin? Should they trade Derwin? What's, should they restructure him? What's going on? Is he still part of the plans? You know, we've heard stories, not stories, but we've heard, you know, speculation that there's a specific role for him in Jim's defense um, that fits exactly what Derwin is good at. So it, it seems like Derwin is certainly here to stay and they're going to work to help him be more effective, which is encouraging. Um, but definitely you, you get an idea of who he thinks the leaders on this team are just based on who he mentioned during the press conference mm -hmm. and Trey Pipkins. <laughs> yeah, but he just ran into <laughs> the airport. That's it. <laughs> that was just a coincidence. And so. um, yeah, <laughs> let's yeah, let's <laughs> hope so. I also thought, you know, we mentioned defensive special teams, Greg. It felt like, you know, there wasn't I didn't hear any. There was some specifics on offense, you know, talking about beefing up the run game, protecting Herbert, having your pass catchers be able to block. Um, but on defense, his first thing right off the bat was. Defense has to score points and special teams have to score points. It wasn't, hey, we're running cover two. We want to stop the run. We're going to make sure we get some athletic, you know, bodies at the second level. Nothing in terms of any specifics on defense, just that they got to score points. And I thought it was kind of interesting having both having an emphasis on scoring points on both special teams and defense. Obviously, that's, you know, not earth shattering uh, advice, but still, you know, the fact that he's going to want a defense that's going to want to score is going to be interesting when you're looking at, you know, free agency and then the draft. Yeah, I think the only other thing he mentioned defensively was that he wants one that's tough to move the ball on. But, you know, who doesn't? Yeah, yeah, so. yeah right. Yeah. Yeah, I thought the other thing that stood out to me, too, uh, which doesn't really have anything to do with how he's going to run the team, but he was asked something along the lines of, so, Jim, what was it about the Chargers that made you think you could win multiple championships here during your interviews? And his response was, interviews? I didn't interview. I had football conversations. <laughs> like, Jim, we just interviewed 15 guys, <laughs> making it look like this was a real search. Come on, bro. You haven't even started yet, and you're already telling people it was a sham? Like, mm. play along a little bit. But no, that was 
I just thought it was interesting the way he framed the. I mean, he did say he was bad at poker, right? So <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's true. But kind of alluding to all the previous conversations we had uh, discussed about them having multiple discussions leading up to this official interview, football conversations is a, a good way to put it. Not official interviews, you know? Yeah. Just one <laughs> long, ongoing football Ongo conversation. <laughs> Multiple times, different locations. A over the course long yeah, Over the course of six months, yes. <laughs> All right, cool. So uh, anything else before uh, we move on to Joe Ortiz? Anything else from the Harbaugh press conference we want to touch on? That's, that's it for me. But you guys have anything else? We are the storm. Oh, did you like that one? That was actually pretty nice. I mean, it's corny, but still, of all of like the cliche things that he says, that was probably the coolest. Man, I, I could see that sticking. Mm. It's going to end up a on question. a T-shirt. There's a question here. Um, in the Discord, they're saying he took shots at Staley. What did he say? Hmm. Uh, I think what they were referring to was somebody asked him something about like, what's the chain of command or who do you answer to? And he directly referenced Staley's I'm not here to talk to the fans by saying, I feel like oh. I answered to the fans. I feel like I answered to Dean um, and the players was kind of his response. But I think that's what they were talking about with uh, how he took a shot at Staley. And he, like I said, he also mentioned together, 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 you know, humble, hungry, like it, the whole, the whole press conference, any, any real answer he gave, Seemed like there was some, I don't know, I don't want to say shade, but some direct reference to some of the issues they had the last year, uh, last three years, um, and how he was going to, how things were changing. Well, I think some of that came on the back of him uh, also mentioning accountability. So when he was talking about, you know, the team, the players, the fans, it was all accountability based. And yeah, that was a huge issue with the previous regime. So if that is to be viewed as taking a shot, Maybe, but what I feel like is it's probably something that they discussed during the process. And it was probably also a point of emphasis. So I would imagine it was, if there were a tier of things that they talked about, accountability had to be towards the top of the list. I have to imagine that some of those exit interviews, that word was thrown around a bit. So um, he felt like it was a bit of a buzzword <clears throat> and yeah, I think it needs to be uh, impressed upon the players and the organization and the fans as a whole to know that there will be no more really pointing the fingers or misdirecting blame. Yeah, I think we've talked about it. Accountability, professionalism, toughness, resilience, all things that he hit on during the during the press conference. Mm -hmm. Culture, yeah. all that stuff. All of it. All right. Let's let's do it. Let's move on to Joe Ortiz. I'll give you a little uh, primer before we uh, dive into the stuff we we like about the Chargers' new GM. So uh, Joe Ortiz started out as a personnel assistant with the Ravens, went to pro scout, area scout, national scout, went to director of college scouting, director of player personnel, and now currently the GM of the Chargers. So clearly a guy who took every step on his trajectory to becoming a general manager. Um, as eight years as a scout, Ortiz got promoted after years of success and they moved him when they uh, promoted him. He, they told a story that Ortiz personally scouted the Auburn, the Auburn guard, Ben Grubbs in the first round who ended up becoming a pro bowler. And they said, Hey, this Ortiz guys is pretty good. 
And this guy that he went to bat for ended up being pretty good, uh, became a pro bowler. So then they moved him up to director of college scouting. He spent 20 years uh, in Baltimore two success, under two successful GMs, both Ozzie Newsom and now currently uh, Eric DaCosta. Um, and Hortiz was actually interviewed last cycle uh, for GM last season. Um, he was in the running for a couple jobs. He was actually runner up for the Giants job last season. Uh, this year, he gets the job with the Chargers. What do you guys love about Joe Ortiz? Talk to me about it, Craig. Well, first and foremost, let me say that I no longer have to keep the Ravens at bay um, as my football side chick because I've always admired their franchise, man, for years, just the way it's been built. Uh, they almost always seem to draft the players I love, uh, including just this past season. But we won't get into that because we are now moving yeah, forward. No, it's cool. We, you know, we've got a bright future ahead of us. But you know, we're talking about somebody who spent a quarter of a century with this franchise, and from learning the ins and outs of how they build a winner, the type of players that they understand they need to um, run the specific schemes not just using a specific scheme and trying to fit the players, but taking the players that fit it and then adjusting on the fly as necessary. So if guys go down, they made adjustments to the scheme that way. But the thing was they had the depth to make those adjustments. And Hortiz was a huge part of that. Um, we all know that he was a pivotal uh, part of the Roquan Smith trade from the Bears. But the other side to that is you added Roquan Smith to that defense to play next to um, Patrick Queen, who, like Kenneth Murray, who I think, what, Forget the order. I think the Chargers traded ahead and then took Murray instead of Queen, right? Queen yes, came right, after. Yeah. So same we all, thought it, was Queen. We all hmm? thought it was Queen on draft yeah. day. Yeah. So yeah. same situation. Patrick Queen's 50-year option wasn't picked up. But now you look at Patrick, um, Roquan Smith being brought into the fold, and you saw Patrick Queen play at a new level this year. So you've got arguably the best linebacker tandem in the NFL with the guy who they didn't even know was going to be back next year. They didn't know what they wanted to do with his contract. And now they have a decision to make here. Uh, but just adding that type of piece to a defense completely flipped them over at the second level and added to the play of a player who you know was kind of up in the air with regards to his future. But Ortiz is a part of all of this. So understanding um, that he knows how to build a culture, the type of players that have to be uh, utilized the way they need to be utilized, should I say, and the fact that it's going to take some hard-nosed guys with a little bit of aggression, maybe a bit of an edge to him, and he's not afraid to bring those on to the franchise. So it's just nice to have that in the building. And it's another football guy who can tell the other people who you know shouldn't be a part of things the way that they have been in the past to take a back seat and let us do our job. So Hortiz was my first selection as GM, so it just kind of worked out, happy about that. And I think all that experience along with working not with just the Ravens, but understanding what John Harbaugh wants, and he and Jim share similar mindsets, um, it allows him to work more cohesively with Jim. And I don't think there's going to be an issue long term like there was with the Niners. I know Jim kind of shunned that off during um, you know, the press of the day saying, don't really believe everything you read. But now you have a guy that will be in lockstep with him. The fact that he said that there'll be Batman and Robin He'll be Batman in season. Joe is going to be Batman off season and they understand their roles. So I think it's the best pick they could have made. And the Chargers franchise is going to be better for it moving forward. Yeah, I you asked what I like about him. Pretty much everything. Um, <laughs> I have a couple questions, but overall, I think they made a really good hire. And I think the main thing that I like is, well, there are a few things. One is 
the Ravens are built in the trenches. Um, they're good all over the field, but they're built in the trenches on both sides of the football. And they don't just do it with first round picks. They do it with second through seventh round picks. They are beefed up. I mean, they find starting offensive linemen, starting defensive tackles, starting edge players, all up and down the draft. And if they can't find them, they go out and sign a mid-level or low-level veteran to fill a hole. Um, this is an organization that believes, well, he's coming from an organization that believes in hoarding players at positions of value, um, which is not something that we're used to. It's kind of, I alluded to this in the Discord earlier today, and it's it keeps coming back to me. It, it reminds me a lot of early A.J. Smith when he talked about wanting to be two or three deep at every position before his head got so big, hmm. I think Hortiz comes from a very similar philosophy with the Ravens of if we like a player and we feel like he's the best player on the board, we're going to take him, whether it's a position of need or not. And you saw that um, two years ago in the draft when they took Isaiah likely and Charlie Kolar at tight end in, I think both in the fourth, in the fourth round, I think with, within several within a few picks of each other. Um, this is just, he's coming from one of the best run, most efficiently run organizations in the NFL for the last 20 years. And he learned from the bottom up. Uh, I don't think you could have a better mentor than Ozzie Newsom. They're Eric DaCosta. I mean, Craig mentioned it. These guys, he's coming from a room full of, I mean, just brilliant football minds who know how to build a roster and build a culture. They know how to find the traits that they need. They know how to develop the traits that are there and the traits that aren't. And they find high level production, if not all pro production in every round of the draft. And that's just not something that we're used to. And it's not hyperbole. You can look at their draft record beyond the first round. And it is absolutely true. They get the most out of pretty much everybody on their roster. Um, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Keep going. So that, I mean, that's the big thing for me is I think we're going back to kind of a shift of a shift in not kind of, we're going, we're going to an old school shift in philosophy in terms of hoarding players, being physical, being tough, being built in the trenches and beating the shit out of people up front. And I think that is something this team has needed for a long time. And I applaud them for being, being willing to take that step in an era where everything is becoming you know, relying on the pass and kind of becoming, I don't want to say soft, but more finesse in a lot of ways. And they're going the other way. And I think it's a great shift. And I think you're going to start seeing them bringing guys specifically for toughness in this offseason, whether it's free agents or in the draft, guys that make them more physical and tougher up front. And we're going to love every second of it. So you guys both alluded to it, and uh, I'm happy you did because uh, you set me up here, and it feels like we've been doing this podcast for almost 10 years, Jamie, uh, because it, <laughs> it really is lock and step here. So at, if you look at just doing research on Hortiz, he's got a one sheet, like uh, basically his little resume with the Ravens. And the team on the team site, this isn't just a, a, you know, a fluff piece or a bio on his own website. On the team site, Hortiz was credited during his career for drafting players like Joe Flacco, Ronnie Stanley, Zadarius Smith, CJ Mosley, Timmy Jernigan, Kaleche Osemele, Brandon Williams, Torrey Smith, Jimmy Smith, Kyle Juszczyk, Dennis Pitta, and Ben Grubbs. So that's a guy who had his hand in, if not the guy pounding the table for those names. Now, when you talk about how good the Ravens organization has been, 
Cortez has had his hand in it. And I, I agree with um, Craig here. He was my number one choice for GM2 with the names that, that we saw. Uh, Brown was fine. A lot of people liked Ed Dodds. I didn't like him as much as I do Cortez. With this organization, the Ravens, the hit rate from this organization in the first round is absolutely fantastic. I put a graphic together of Joe Hortiz and what he's had his hand in in first-round picks with the Baltimore Ravens. And those names are, during his scouting time, it was Todd Heap, Ed Reed, Terrell Suggs, Mark Clayton, Haloti Nata, Ben Grubbs. He gets the promotion to director of college scouting. In the first round, Joe Flacco, Michael Ower, Jimmy Smith, Matt Elam, C.J. Mosley, Brashad Perryman, Ronnie Stanley, Marlon Humphrey, Hayden Hurst, Lamar Jackson. They go, hey, this Hortiz guy is pretty good. Let's promote him to director of player personnel. And then he drafts Marquise Brown, Patrick Queen, Rashad Bateman, uh, Dofe Owe. Am I saying that right? Maybe. Maybe. Dofe Owe, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Kyle yeah. Hamilton. Tyler Lindenbaum, and of course, the aforementioned Craig, sorry about this, Zay Flowers. That is a man who knows what he's looking for. And then Jamie's talking about getting it. So it's not just first round picks. You're most likely to get your hits on a first round pick. But what the Ravens do is they build within, and it's all about homegrown talent. Under his watch, not only do you get longtime starters at in your first round, you get them through every single round. Hortiz has been in where Brandon Williams and Carl Davis were picked in the third round, longtime starters. Jarrett Johnson and Zadarius Smith in the fourth round, longtime starters, franchise cornerstones. Pernell uh, McPhee, Matt Judon in the fifth round, starters, big-time starters for other organizations too. On the offensive line, Marshall Yonda, Orlando Brown in the third round, Ben Powers, who's a starting guard for them now in the fourth Jermaine Illuminaire, who ended up going and being a starter for the Raiders later on and the Patriots. Ryan Jensen, he, uh, they got Illuminaire in the fifth. They got Ryan Jensen, a pro, bowl, pro bowler, all pro in the sixth round. You get a guy like Ladarius Webb in the third, longtime starter in that secondary. In the third round, they get a guy named Mark Andrews. Not sure if you know who that is. Tight end. Eric Dixon in the third round. Dennis Pitta in the fourth. They got, I don't know if you guys know this, Darren Waller. In the seventh round, they know what they're looking for, dude. Tyrod Taylor in the sixth round, Kyle Juszczyk in the fourth, and even recently, because there's some old names in there, even recently they got breakout star um, Justin uh, Matabuke yep. in the third, and Geno Stone, the safety, who broke out this season in the seventh. It is all homegrown talent. They know what they're looking for. Ortiz had his fingerprint all over all of this and we're not just talking about the stars in the first round we're talking about building out throughout the draft in the day two and day three as longtime starters and cornerstones of your franchise this guy knows what he's looking for and you see with just a few of these names that the hit rate on Hortiz and the way he's been with this organization while obviously the gms newsom and uh acosta deserve some credit harbaugh uh his brother, John Harbaugh, deserves some credit there too. But Hortiz has his fingerprint all over this too. And he has been part of a very successful franchise, and he's going to bring a lot to this franchise starting this year. So the only concern I have uh, when we're talking about – Oh, we're about already Carol, there. Okay, okay. No, go ahead. Are we are, we're already concerned? Okay. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's, it's because you mentioned okay. it. We went through the names and we saw the yeah. list, but there is one spot that is concerning is the wide receiver position yes. up until this past yes. year. So Zay Flowers, yes, but some of those names, eh. 
Rashad yeah. um, Perriman and Rashad Bateman, just to name a couple. It mm-hmm. seems like they always struggle to find a clear-cut number one guy. It's been that way for quite some time. I mean, you can look at a guy like with Torrey Smith, and he mm-hmm. was a fine, like, number two wide receiver. But when we're talking just clear-cut number one guys, they've had issues identifying those. And, I mean, just this past year, it looks like they hit on one. I mean, yes, it was the guy that we loved and we didn't get, but um, it took them a bit. So let's just hope there's some improvement moving forward because the last thing the Chargers need are to miss on another wide receiver. And sorry, <laughs> this is not me saying that they've completely missed because no disrespect to Quentin Johnston, it was one year. But uh, I'm sure that there's much, I mean, there is, you know, of course, room to improve, and we hope that he does. But if you're looking for a guy that can step in and contribute year one, which is what this team is going to need um, overall when some of this, I'm not going to call it a complete overhaul of the roster, but when they start picking players here and there and some guys have to leave and it's not the roster that you saw a year ago, you're going to have to get some younger contributors to come in on the cheap and contribute again in year one. So hopefully uh, they've got the wide receiver thing figured out. Yeah. The wide receiver thing was also something that concerned me, but to be completely fair, they have had Greg Roman calling passing plays for them for most of the last, what, four or five years. And they were hesitant to let uh, Lamar Jackson kind of take over that offense until Todd Munkin arrived. Mm-hmm. And I don't yeah, think it's a coincidence. Fair. Some of those guys took off once Munkin got there. <laughs> so um, not all on them, but certainly, I mean, Brashad Perriman was a guy who I distinctly remember talking about him. He came out in the draft saying, I like my wide receivers to be able to catch the ball. Mm -hmm. So not surprised that he washed out. He was injured and he couldn't catch. Great Mm -hmm. combination. Um, But that aside, I think, I mean, there's just a lot to be excited about. I I love the idea of potentially hoarding players and not being so tied to need in the draft, but just taking the best player on your board. Um, Not only are they finding guys who fit their system, but they're, they're developing them. And getting more out of them once they arrive. And those guys tend tend to be really successful with the Ravens. And they sign a deal elsewhere. And they suck. And they almost always come back. Um, so it's kind of an interesting pattern. You see that with some of their defensive linemen. And some of their edge players in particular. They sign a deal after four years. They go somewhere else. They Their numbers drop. As soon as that deal's over, they come back to the Ravens. Um, and they are not overly married to the guys that they draft. It's not like they're trying to prove something when they draft someone. They might draft someone and they might find that somebody is not worth a multi-year deal. They might let them hit the market and test them and wind up bringing them back on a one-year deal that makes more sense. They did that with Geno Stone this year. They drafted him in the seventh round. His contract ran out. He was a restricted free agent. They they didn't want to give him a multi-year deal. They declined his tender, brought him back on a one-year deal. He broke out. And there's examples of that up and down their history. They do not, they're not caught up in emotion with these guys. They give them their shot, either they work or they don't. And they might bring them back on a one-year deal to fill a spot, but they're not going to throw multi-year, multi-year deals at somebody just because they drafted them. They're not going to be afraid that somebody else is going to sign them. Um, It's just not how they operate. So it's just a totally different mindset in terms of how they operate uh, with their player personnel department. And if uh, what you've seen in Baltimore is any indication, the tight end room won't be a concern moving forward here in a couple of years because, boy, do they love to hoard them some tight ends. Uh, I mean, and Jamie touched on this also. They build on positions of strength, so it's no surprise there. But, you know, as Chargers fans, we've watched the drafts go by year after year after year, and then you look at 
that roster and you know, we've got Mark Andrews, Isaiah Likely, and then fine, let's just throw Charlie Kohler in there as tight end three, you know, barely sees the field at all, but someone who could probably be a more than capable tight end for the Chargers if they had him. Um, so, yeah, uh, we've all been clamoring for better tight end play, more talent at the position. So there's probably going to be an emphasis uh, in personnel at that position as well. All right, let's go to some of these questions. You're talking about tight ends. Curtis Davis here. Thanks for the donation. Harbaugh, Ortiz, Herbert, and then next, Bowers. Well, does that concern you? We've talked about how tight ends are luxury. Obviously, everybody talks about how important tight ends are to Harbaugh's system. Now that it's pretty clear that Ortiz strikes gold at tight end at almost every round, does it now push Bowers further out of the conversation or is he still, or is he now further in the conversation? Where are you now with Bowers, Jamie? Uh, I think it's, it's obviously a pressing need from a roster standpoint, but I think in terms of where you're taking him, it's less of a pressing need. Cause if you look at that list, I think the only tight end that Hortiz took in the first round was Hayden Hurst. And while he's been productive, I don't know that you'd point at him and say, wow, that guy's a stud. Um, he was good in Atlanta for a couple of years, but never really caught on with the Ravens. So I, Todd, I think Heap, any, Todd Heap was the first one. Oh, Heap was the first one. Okay. But since then, yeah, it was Hurst and everybody else has been in like the fourth round. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't think you need to rush to take him. I don't think they will rush to take Bowers. Um, I think I would not be surprised if they make a pick in the trenches. Um, even over neighbors. Uh, but I, I, I'd be kind of surprised if they took a tight end at five. So I've gone back and forth with this a bunch, just knowing number one, how Ortiz operated with the Ravens and the emphasis they put on the position where Jim Harbaugh places his emphasis, the fact that, um, you know, Jim and his tight ends are everything to him. They're, typically like the second receiving option in his offense. That's not to say that they'll take a Bowers at five. Uh, and when we were talking about this weeks ago, um, what direction I think somebody asked, what would you rather do wide receiver like neighbors or would you do Bowers? And I told you like, I'm kind of up in the air with it. I'm still going to lean more so towards neighbors, but if they ended up going the Bowers route, I wouldn't be shocked because I mean, I've watched a little bit more of them and my main concern about him is because he's a smaller tight end, whether or not he hold up in a run game as a blocker, but he gives some ridiculous effort and um, he can hold his own. When you look at it that way, you can technically consider him a part of the trenches in the run game, but he can also be utilized as a weapon, not just in line, but in the slot, out of the back forward and H. So the way I look at him is a lot like I looked at Zay Flowers. Um, if you have a guy who can do multiple things very well, is that not worth a first round pick, even an early one, if they can contribute in multiple ways? So I'm still playing a little bit of tug of war here. I'm still going to lean more towards neighbors just because I think that Herbert needs that type of explosive weapon. Um, Bowers is also very explosive in his own right as a tight end. Um, when you start throwing around the word generational uh, talent, he's starting to look like he can fit that mold as well. But uh, when you look at everything that can be done from the wide receiver position and what the Chargers lack, I don't think that you can pass up on the neighbors if you have the opportunity to grab them. But they have a tough decision to make. If it does end up being a trench pick, I, won't, I wouldn't be shocked. 
but I've also seen some really high quality offensive tackles that you wouldn't even have to take within the top 10. So then there's the trade back option. Um, everything's on the table for him right now, but uh, I'm, you know, fingers crossed for Bowers. I would still, I mean, not Bowers, uh, neighbors, number one, uh, but Bowers has got to be like a close second to me. Yeah, this, this still feels like a luxury pick to me. And I feel like with Ortiz now, I have the confidence that, he could still find somebody later on that may not be up to Bauer's capabilities, but I think the combination of neighbors and then your whatever round third or fourth round tight end matched with Bowers and a third and fourth round wide receiver wouldn't be as high as it would be if you were able to get your tight end a little bit later. Yeah. Um, oh, there's yeah. one, there's one, by the way, that I have my eyes on. I'm not going to say it here. Uh, we'll get into it when we start, start talking draft, but yeah, um, yeah, there's a tight end that can be had later and I'd be perfectly fine with him. I, I would just add to this conversation too, that, you know, you guys mentioned Harbaugh said he wants to play at run play action off of the running game. And right now they don't really have the ability to do that. Johnston can get deep. I don't know that that's really the, the role for him. Uh, you know, Keenan's not a guy who's going to get deep. If they want to take, downfield shots they need some speed and some explosiveness and i think that's neighbors and i think neighbors does more for the offense in terms of opening things up underneath for keenan than a guy like bowers does who kind of i think more clogs the middle not that clogs the middles it sounds negative but i just think you 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 open up the deeper part of the field more with neighbors and it opens up things underneath for, for keenan more which is something that he needs I don't know about you guys, but I'm tired of seeing play action five yard passes. <laughs> I, I can't do it anymore. Yeah. So yeah, that that's kind of where I am on that. I just think that's something this offense needs, and it's right there for the taking. So it would hurt yeah, to pass on that. No ability to threaten or blow the top off of the defense right now. So if you have the opportunity to get a guy who can do that, and I mean there are other players with speed, but I think it's more than just a speed thing. Neighbors brings a lot more than that, but as far as just overall explosiveness, he's probably the most explosive wide receiver in the draft. All right. And then from Stanley here, talk about Ben H and their analytics guy. So how are you guys feeling about Herbert coming over? Ben Herbert. I, I mean, yeah, I, I think based on everything we've heard, it sounds like he gets a lot of credit for changing the culture at Michigan. I mean, they were – Michigan was a mess when Harbaugh got there. Um, Oak and Rich Rodriguez left that, that program in complete and utter disarray. Um, and he brought the toughness and the, uh, the competition, which I think is something the Chargers have been missing um, at multiple spots on the roster – and he just he developed football players, so I think that's that's a huge get for the Chargers. It's hopefully it will lead to fewer injuries, guys being in better shape, guys competing more with each other on the field, um, and guys being able to play a full four quarters, which is something they've struggled with since forever. Yeah, and JJ Watt, I think it was JJ Watt today said he was a, a culture changer. So yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's a great thing to have, and. Um, I don't, I don't know much about him, but everybody raves about him. The coaches do, the players do, and the Chargers have needed that for a very, very long time. So if you're changing the culture, it feels like the Chargers are basically tearing it down to the studs and rebuilding it, rebuilding it out. And Ben Herbert's a, a good start in that room. Herbert looks like a maniac. 
Uh, you see some of the videos of him and training guys in the weight room, and I believe he was J.J. Watt's uh, strength coach at Wisconsin for a bit. So he has firsthand knowledge of him. Um, he's someone that in, in college is a bit different because the strength and conditioning coach has a huge effect on the team. They spend a ton of time with the guy. Um, at the NFL level, uh, he may have to change things up just slightly, but I think the intensity that he can bring, um, that personality will resonate. Uh, throughout the team because it has been a very soft team, not just from an injury standpoint, just in general, like the culture of the charges has not been known to be a tough one. And you're adding these figures, um, whether it just be your head coach or other people that are part of the staff, I think as many of them as you can get the better because you can start to weed out some of the players that don't belong. They'll probably do that on their own because they won't want to put in that type of work. And it's very different. I mean, you've got college and NIL now and certain players are making millions of dollars, but that's not the majority of the players in the NFL. It's a bunch of guys making millions. So it tells you a whole lot about whether or not someone has real love for the game, whether or not They'll put in the type of work to perform at the top level, um, even though they've got all that extra coin hanging around. And if you have someone who can motivate them and force the ones who aren't willing to do it to quit, you can get them out of the door however you choose. Or he'll bring out the best in the ones who've been putting in that effort, regardless of the circumstances. And I think the Chargers have quite a few of those guys, and it'll hopefully permeate throughout the rest of the franchise and personnel. And then the analytics guy that they brought in. Huge, as uh, Stanley is saying. But, I mean, w we've talked about the benefits of a good analytics team for a long time, it feels like. Uh, we, I feel like we've been beating that drum. So, more smart people in the room, the better. Yep, absolutely. Yep, I agree with it wholeheartedly. Um, there needs to be a balance, though. So, um, I know we're all in agreement there. Uh, you don't want to lean too heavily on the anal analytics. Sometimes there's a feel game flow in the eye test when it comes to the game. You don't want to put that, you know, you don't want that to have uh, take a back seat to analytics. I don't think there there's a time and a place for it. It should be incorporated into the overall. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Well, I think, I think we're good here. I don't know if you guys have anything else you guys want to add uh, before we get out of here. Uh, but I'm I'm excited about Hortiz. Oh, have, is there anything else bad you guys wanted to touch on other than wide receivers, Jamie? No, I think that you was really pretty okay. much it. I think they've been pretty solid everywhere else. Yeah, Craig. Bad. Um, I've been looking at a little bit of Michigan tape, and they have a very distinct type that they like um, in their secondary players, and it's really exciting to me because they play a physical brand of football um, at every level. And so it's been fun to watch guys not whiff on tackles, be very aggressive and sound technique wise. So it helps maybe even point us in the direction of the type of players they are going to target moving into the draft. So it all just comes together going into draft season. Uh, looking forward to it probably this year more so than any other. Hmm. Absolutely. This is going to be a real fun off season. So no, uh, no official DC, no official OC, no official special teams coordinator. Uh, that is all be to be determined, and that should be happening fast here soon. And when it happens, we'll be here. So thanks for joining us. Talk about the press conference and Joe Hortiz. I'm at Garrisisti. Jamie's at Lightning underscore Round. Craig at Type Top underscore Flight Three. Thank you so much for watching, and we will see you next time. Thanks, everybody. Salute.